Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Janelle Hansen. While in law school, Janelle was inspired by a professor's love for wills and trust law. And from that point on, she dedicated her time and legal experience exclusively to the area of estate planning. Janelle worked for a small estate planning and trust litigation firm where she learned how to be a better planner due to issues that ended up being litigated in court. After a few years, she gained experience working for a larger estate planning and trust administration firm, working with high net worth clients and unique tax planning for wealthy individuals. Due to her experience in litigation and planning for families with very different backgrounds, from elderly persons with one or two accounts to families with multi-million dollar estates, Janelle offers clients a unique perspective for how to plan for whatever life may throw at them. In the episode, Janelle discusses what an estate plan comprises, misconceptions about wills and trusts, the importance of advanced healthcare directives, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Janelle. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Janelle. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. Uh, We we have known each other for a while, so this is fun. And I also don't really know anything about estate planning, trusts, wills. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, uh, but this is kind of one of those adulting things I feel like I have not grasped yet. So I know I'm going to learn a lot in this episode and I'm sure our my listeners will as well. Can you start out by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become an estate planning attorney? Sure. So I've been practicing for a little over eight years now 
um, it's kind of crazy to think I'm going into my ninth year, Yeah. <laughs> but, um, the way I came across estate planning, it was kind of a process of elimination because in law school, they don't teach you, um, they don't teach you to a specific area because with a law degree, you can do so many things. So really the goal of law school is just to take some kind of basic classes, um, basic areas of the law and just teach you how to think like an attorney. And then you're kind of off to the races. And so, um, when I was like an undergrad, I knew I wanted to go to law school. So I did an internship with family law and decided definitely that was not for me. <laughs> I knew I did not want to do criminal law. That just sounded way too scary. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do like, you know, there's a lot of tech out here. Maybe I'll do IP law, intellectual property. And I was sitting in those classes and I was bored out of my mind and realized <laughs> I didn't want to learn about anything tech. And so I took a wills and trust class because that's one of the Core, uh, courses that they test to on the bar. And the teacher I had was an estate planning attorney and he just loved his job so much and he made you love it and want to learn about it. And I just also started to see in friends and family how it touched every single person I know. Because if you don't have a plan, someone's passing away and you still have to deal with their estate and it's just a whole nother ball game. And so I saw the relevance of it. I saw I could help people. It's more friendly for having a life balance. And so that's how I ended up in this profession. Mm. It kind of reminds me as you were describing that of the path doctors take after med mm -hmm. school of kind of trying the different areas and often by process of elimination, right? Things you don't like right. just helps you narrow down the list, which exactly. is always helpful. And then I know you used to work in a more corporate setting, right? And now you work on your own. What caused that transition? So, yeah. So the last firm I was at, actually, I still have a really good relationship with them, but uh, it was still like a smallish size firm. I've never worked for a large firm, like mm. a national firm or anything like that. But the last firm I was at, I think it was about, 10 or 15, 10 attorneys. And then we had some staff. So it was maybe a staff of like 15 of us or something. Um, but just with the pandemic, I had two young kids. Uh, I had some health stuff come up after I had my daughter and it really just made me have to take a step back and think, can I do this at the pace they need me to do things or do I need to do my own <laughs> set up my own shingle? And so I made the decision to, start my own practice. And it had been something that had always been a goal of mine. I didn't think I would be doing it as soon as I <laughs> did. Um, it was, but it was something always like in the back of my mind. And so there were just some very clear things that happened in a short span of time where it was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. <laughs> and so I'm going to just go for it. And so I called up my good friend that I've known since law school. She started her own family law practice a few years back. And I called her up and I said, Lydia, you have to sh tell me exactly what I need to do. <laughs> what, what do I need to have in place? What are the basics? And just hit the ground running. That's awesome. Kudos to you for doing that, for making the leap, because I think it's so easy to talk about it and it's so scary to branch off on your own as I know myself and to actually do mm -hmm. it. It's challenging, but it's also extremely rewarding to build something and have more freedom in your schedule and time. And that's incredible. Do you work with clients 
primarily in California or is it only in California? Yeah, so I am licensed only in the state of California. So, and uh, state planning is very state specific. It's not something federal. Um, I do have a background in tax law. So there are some things with there, with that area of law where it spans federally, but just for my day-to-day practice, I'm licensed for the Bar of California and I know California law best for this topic. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So just to kind of frame the conversation then when we're talking, we're talking about California law, uh, but then I'm sure some of this applies to all states, right? Or just, um, yeah. for example, the rationale behind getting a will and a trust that would, that would apply to everybody, but then the more specific details would be for California. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, the documents are the same across the board. If you go to other States um, and you say, you know, a healthcare directive or a healthcare power of attorney, people are going to know what you're talking about. If you say will or trust, they know what you're talking about. So like across the board, it's a national thing, but how every state handles those or specific topics within that, um, it can branch off and be a little bit different. If you move, do you have to amend your estate plan or will or trust, or can you just keep the same one? I say it depends. I always recommend to people if they're moving and they're going to be there, you know, they're planning on this is where I'm settling down and it's going to be a long-term thing, I would definitely seek an attorney out there to make sure that your documents are up to date, especially when you're purchasing property. I think that's the, that's the kicker or the, the trigger for definitely wanting to see an estate planning attorney, because you want to make sure that you have provisions in there that match whatever rules would be best for that state um, or depending on how you want things to pass, things with spouses, like it's different because California, there's only um, two, maybe three states that have community property laws. It's California and Texas. There may be one other. Otherwise, all other states go by separate property law. So there's like if married couples, there's like different rules and things in place. Mm. So um but like if someone's just moving somewhere temporarily or doing something like that, they're probably okay with their California documents for a bit. Oh, okay. When we say estate planning, you know, I'm kind of thinking about that term in quotes. What exactly mm-hmm. does that mean? What does that include an estate plan? Yeah, it's very broad. <laughs> So an estate, generally people think of property, but estate planning can also be for your person. So in the law, people are kind of separated into two things (laughs) where you have your estate, which is your finances, um, your property that you own, assets, and then there's your person. So that's medical decisions, um, capacity decisions, just everything to do with like you as an individual. And so in estate planning, we try to cover both of those things. So planning for when you don't have the capacity to care for yourself anymore, and now family members have to step in, make healthcare decisions and things for you. Uh, And then there's also the financial aspect, which is what people think of the most, which is if you lack capacity and or when you pass, how are things supposed to be handled with your finances or who are things supposed to go to? I guess maybe in my mind, I don't know if this is everybody, but I always thought 
estate means kind of property. So an estate plan is something you get when you own a home and until then you don't need one, but it sounds like that's incorrect. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually that's what triggers people are like, Oh, I'm purchasing my first home or something like that. And that's when they'll go into it. You know, they'll contact an attorney, but it really goes beyond that. Even I would say people who have um, something I don't think about, but definitely if you have minor children, you definitely want to have an estate plan because that covers if something happens to you, who's going to take care of your children that's covered in your estate plan. Also, if you have kids going off to college, people don't think about this a lot, but having durable powers of attorney or healthcare directives in place because your child is 18, they're an adult. And if they don't have you listed on documents, if something were to happen to them and like you try to go to school, collect their things or get information, the school will say no because you're an adult and they might not have on record that they can turn things over to you as their parents. Mm. So I've heard some really sad stories of things people have had to go through um, when something happens to their child and they're like blocked from... Mm -hmm. (laughs) From getting things. So there are a lot of scenarios where, I mean, estate planning really can touch a family at any point. And um, there are some ways that it should be used that people don't really think of often. Do some people put it off just because this is, these are topics they don't want to think about of just, I don't want to think about my healthcare direct or health directives, or if something were to happen to my kids, I'll just kind of push that in the back of my brain type of thing. For sure. I mean, I have clients that they say, if I die, and they say, well, it's when you die. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's one way in and one way out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, and they kind of will laugh. And I try to make it lighthearted, because it is a morbid topic. I mean, you're thinking about what happens when you can't take care of yourself. And I think that's hard for people to think of, or they, or they, I think people get spooked by it. There's the superstition of, Oh, if I talk about it and I put it out in the universe, it's going to happen. And it's like, no, this is going to happen no matter what. It's just when. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's best to plan things when you're in your right state of mind, when you can clearly think about these things so that your family doesn't have the burden of dealing with this stuff later. And I think that's a good way to think about it of somebody's going to have to deal with it, right? So if it's not you now, it's somebody later on. It's not that we just get to sweep this under the rug and nobody talks about it or deals with it. Right. And yeah, I just try to frame it for people of, you know, you care about your family, you care about those you love. And so this is a way to continue to care for them when you can't, because if someone has to sit there and make a decision like, do not resuscitate or something that's could be very conflicting for them. Whereas if you wrote down very clearly, this is what I want. This is how I feel about it. It takes the burden off them because now it's not a decision they're making. They're following your wishes, Mm -hmm. right? So things like that, or if you have a strained relationship with someone and you want to make sure they don't get stuff and you want things to go to someone else who needs it more, you need to write those things down because if you don't, California and other states too, they follow some of the rules of who your property goes to, and it may not be going to people you want it to go to, or there may be people who are first in line to make decisions for you and you don't want them to make decisions for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's better for you to have a say and control your life than let the state, (laughs) the government control it. Right. 
yeah, no, that's a really good point. What is the difference between a will and a trust? So the main difference is that a will only takes effect once you pass away. A trust handles things while you're living and also when you pass away. Um, So trusts, uh, another big difference, wills always become public documents. So at first when you create them, they're private, they're in the bookshelf at your house, whatever. Um, But when you pass away and it comes time to handle your estate, it does become public record because you have to go through the court Um, They have to make sure it's a valid will. And then there's a certain process you have to go through called probate. And they make sure that things are carried out and it's all under court oversight. Versus a trust, it's a private document. Unless you share it with people, it's never something that really becomes part of the the public record. Um, You can handle things without court oversight. You just present certain documents and you can do a lot of things to handle someone's estate. Um, There's pros and cons to each. That's something that you have to consider family dynamics and the situation. That's something you would want to talk to an attorney about of which, which would be better for you. Um, It also varies by state, even by County. I would say like in California, there are some counties where, Going to probate court, it's very easy in terms of the timing. Um, And then there are some counties like Santa Clara County, San Francisco, Alameda, L.A., like the really big counties where it can take two or three months just to get a court hearing. (laughs) So, like, if you have a home with a mortgage and you're trying to go to probate court to have someone appointed just to handle your stuff, that could be the difference between foreclosure and not you know, versus like if you have a trust and everything's titled correctly, you don't have to deal with court. Whoever's named in your documents can take care of the sale of your home and assets and getting things to the right people. So um, it just depends on what's the best option for you as an individual. Okay. So, I mean, is it, a trust sounds better. Is it, is it usually the better option for people or not necessarily? It depends. I prefer them in terms of ease of administering an estate, but there are definitely times where you might want to do a will. Like if you have family that's more contentious or if you have people you're not sure you can fully trust them and you want to have that court oversight, um, or you could see that there are some vulnerable parties and you want some accountability, there's definitely a time where a will might be a better option. Um, And then also it varies by states. Like there's other states where their probate courts are down to a science. There's no backlog. And so it's no big deal to use a will in those states. So it really is, it depends by the person in their situation. Would you ever have both a will and a trust or you just have one? No, you, so yeah, when you have a trust, you always have a will. It's just um, smaller. So if you have a traditional will, it says who things are supposed to go to and it lays out all of the terms and provisions someone is to follow when you pass. When you have a trust, the trust document is what you follow. It has the provisions of who, what, what goes to who and the will is a shorter document. And it just kind of says like, if for some reason 
there's something not titled to my trust, like pour it in there, like follow the terms of the trust. Mm -hmm. So there's no specific details really in the will other than pointing to the trust document. Got it. And then is a living trust the same thing as a trust or is that different? So it's a type of a trust. There are several types of trust. There are a living trust. Um, It's also means a revocable trust. That just means you can change it or amend it. And there's the distinction because there are trusts that you can't change or amend. Um, And yeah, there, there are just several types of trusts out there. So the most common one that people are usually looking at for their estate planning is called a living trust or revocable trust. Okay. What would you say are some of the big myths that float around about wills and trusts? So, um, I mean, backing up just about estates in general, I've had people come to me and say, well, I'm doing this because I don't want the state to get my property. And the state will never get your property unless you have zero family. <laughs> so that's a misconception. The, diff, the reason why you want a will or a trust is that you get to name who gets your things versus if you have nothing in place, the state has rules on who gets your things. But it's not like, oh, I didn't name anybody and now my million dollar estate is going to the state of California. Got it. It's not what happens. <laughs> um, uh, I think another misconception, um, just kind of like we talked about of like people thinking it's only about when you pass away. Um, and, and that's true with a will. A will only t- discusses when you pass away. But when you have a trust, there are things in there that talk about your living, but maybe you have Alzheimer's dementia or some other kind of um, health issue. And so people can manage your estate when you're still living, but you can't do it yourself. And mm-hmm. um, so it's really, it's planning for your whole person. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. Uh, so if you don't have an estate plan and it goes to your family, what's the order? Does it go to your spouse first or to your kids first? Or does it depend on the state you live in or... So generally, uh, it goes, so it depends on if you have children or not, (laughs) kind of how the order goes. So assuming you have children and you're not a blended family, meaning children from a first marriage, and this is your second or third, whatever marriage, there's rules on how that goes. So there's a whole thing. Typically it goes to a spouse. Um, if there's an odd dynamic of having, children 
that don't belong to your spouse, the estate might be split between that spouse and those children. Um, and then if you don't have a spouse, it typically goes to your children then grand grandchildren. Um, so the rule is kind of, you look down and then up. <laughs> so you're like children, grandchildren, if none of those exist, it goes back to your parents and then it goes down from there. So then it would be parents with no parents, siblings, if no siblings, nieces, nephews, and huh. it would like go up again. So it's like a whole thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. There, there's like a whole, like we had to take a whole class and it's like the, it's the line, like the bloodlines and mm-hmm. learning about first and second cousins and <laughs> yeah. Wow. All of that stuff. It gets really detailed. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's charts you can go look at for that. For, to yes, brush up there on. are. There are charts. Yeah. So, <laughs> so many charts. So many charts. Uh, can you emphasize again why it's so important to write out healthcare directives in advance and maybe along that same topic, just kind of myths or misconceptions you hear about healthcare directives? Sure. So... Um, I think married people think they don't need healthcare directives because they're like, well, I have my spouse. My spouse can make decisions. Uh, I think that's a myth. (laughs) Um, Things can always be challenged. I don't know if you remember. I've mentioned this to people before, and a lot of people don't remember or know about this case, but I think it was like late 90s or early 2000s. There was this really famous case, Terry Schiavo. Oh, yeah. And um, in that case, it was a woman who was married. She did not have a health care directive in place. I can't remember if like her and her spouse at the time maybe were separated, but still technically married. There was some nuance to it, but there was a huge fight over whether her husband or her parents could make decisions. And the ultimate decision was on whether or not to remove her from life support because she was a, a vegetative state. So meaning her condition wasn't improving. She wasn't able to support herself. She was on machines. And so it went, uh, I'm pretty sure it went all the way to the Supreme Court on who can make decisions for her. So just because you're married doesn't necessarily mean your spouse will be able to make those decisions. Also think about if you're married and you're separated or divorced, um, you might have something that still kind of points to that ex-spouse out there somewhere or this person that you're in the middle of getting a divorce from and do you really want it to be them who's making a decision you know (laughs) so um and anytime families can always challenge right because if you don't have wishes written down they could say i spoke to them and they didn't want that and so you could challenge if the person's not doing things correctly whatever so um you definitely, everyone needs a health care directive, whether married or not, especially if you're single, there's not really a default person. And again, once you're an adult, people can't just give your information out without some kind of consent. So if you don't have a health care directive in place, it's something that now your family has to go to court and they have to get orders and authority so that they can make these decisions for you. And it's extremely time consuming and costly to do that. Um, so it's, it's so important to have a healthcare directive and, and healthcare directives, they deal with things. They do kind of talk about like your wishes surrounding do not resuscitate. So um, I guess don't think by filling out a healthcare directive that your family wouldn't have to fill any additional documents. Like the hospital still going to have 
whatever things they need in place to make their decisions. But this outlines your wishes so that they can sign the documents the hospital needs. And it lets the hospital know and cover themselves of, we were following this person, they're named in these documents. So um, it's something that hospitals really like to have in place. And they, they advocate for, for patients to get healthcare directives a lot of times. Um, and so, yeah, it handles things for when you're living, but incapacitated, meaning you can't make your own decisions for your health. It also can talk about what you want for a burial, um, which may be really important. You know, there are people with different religious beliefs, religious backgrounds, how they want their body handled, right? Whether they want an autopsy or not, whether they want organ donation, whether the body should be kept intact, or maybe they want to be cremated and they want it to be done in this specific way with a specific service or at a you know certain temple or mortuary, whatever. You can put all those wishes as well in your healthcare directive. Um, so it really, and you can have things in there about do you want to be living in your home as long as possible? Or do you not care? Is it okay to put you in an assisted living facility? Um, even if you have Alzheimer, is it important for you to still attend your temple or your church? So would you like someone to continue to make effort to get you, you know, to those meetings because that's an important thing for you morally? Um, so all of those things for you as an individual can be discussed in your healthcare directive. Mm. And just as you're talking, I think it reemphasizes the point you made earlier that it just takes the pressure off of your loved ones. So even if it is your spouse who is the person that will making be making the majority of decisions for you, if you specify that person, just to give some outline of here's what I wish so they don't have to in this very stressful, sad time come up with all of these things on their own and then question, you know, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? Is this what they would have wanted? Like nobody wants to feel that. Exactly. I also think it's important because it's amazing to me how people, because it's not at the front of their mind or no one's asking these questions, people aren't talking about it even with their spouses. Like who sits down and says, Hey, honey. <laughs> Nighttime dinner <laughs> combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like really, it's unless somebody's going through something, right? Like they have a diagnosis of some kind, that's when it comes up. But otherwise, you're not really talking about these things. And so I just think estate planning in general is good because it gets you and your spouse on the same page of like, where should I be looking for things, right? Because in couples, often it's very rare when people are 50 50 handling things. There's always one person who's maybe a little bit more financially savvy. Um, especially like with our parents' generation or grandparents' generation. Um, you have a lot of people still who husband did everything, wife touched nothing. Um, I think a little bit of that's going away, but there still is always the one person in the relationship where it's like if that person went, you know, the husband or wife over here would have no idea what to do or like where to look. Yeah. And so estate planning is good because it kind of lays everything out and <laughs> writes everything down so people see, oh, we have this, this is what we're doing and just makes you more aware so you're not completely caught off guard when you need to handle things. Right. No, that's that's a very good point. What would you say in terms of finding a good fit estate planning attorney? What are some kind of interview questions that people should be asking? 
So I would ask them specifically what documents they're preparing because, I mean, the very basic estate plan should be a will, powers of attorney, and a healthcare directives. Um, and if you have a trust, there should be the trust, the will, powers of attorney, healthcare directives. There are some other documents in there surrounding surrounding those, but those are like the very basic. So if an attorney is like, I'll just do a trust or I'll just do a will, and they're not asking you other questions, that's a red flag. That's probably someone where estate planning is more like a side hustle <laughs> mm. um, than like their, their, their front job um, or first job. And another question I would ask, um, just know like what you're paying up front. It shouldn't be in the dark. Um, attorneys all run their practices differently. Oftentimes with the state planning, there will be a package in place. So it's like a one-time fee, but others charge their hourly rate. So just know, you know, what the billing scheme is and are you prepared for that? Um, and I think it also just depends on, do you feel comfortable with this person? Like if you don't have a good feeling about them, don't work with them because you're sharing very personal things. Right. And so if they're not personable, if they're not someone you think would maybe get along with family, um, if they're not explaining things in a way that's making it easier for you to comprehend, all of those things are really important just with the individual. You sh probably shouldn't be working with them mm -hmm. because when you walk, I, I mean, this is hard enough, right? People can kind of look up whatever they want on the internet, whether it's right or wrong, they can do it. And so you shouldn't feel like, when you're speaking to an attorney, it was just like you went on Google and you don't know any better than when you went into the conversation. You yeah. should walk away understanding things a little bit better. I mean, it, it can get really in the weeds, but a really good attorney can give you just the basics of what you need to know and break it down so you can understand and just make a clear decision on what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. How do amendments work down the road if you have to make them? Does that usually come included in your cost or is that an initial fee? Do you work with the same person? I mean, how does that work? Uh, it depends. So t I think most attorneys, um, they just do the one estate plan, whatever they agree to do with you, that's your fee agreement. And then whatever amendments you have in the future would be a separate cost just because you don't know what the amendment is, the extent of it. Um, if you had one attorney and uh, that drafted your original documents and you need to make amendments, you don't have to go to the same attorney. That's a good thing for two reasons. One person could pass away or something. You can't go to them anyway. Or two, maybe you didn't really like them or maybe you spoke to someone else and realized, oh, my attorney never discussed these things. And you realize maybe they're not as competent as you thought. Mm. <laughs> and so you want to switch gears, right? So um, so it's, it's always best, I think, to have a fee agreement where it's just related to those documents. And then that way... Once those documents are done, it ends that relationship and you can move on and seek whoever. But by all means, if you love your estate planning attorney, you can stay with them. Like that's something that's really cool about this particular field is we are really in people's lives. And 
if you catch someone early enough, you can have generations go through your firm or first you help parents. Now children are growing up and grandchildren, like you really can be become part of their family and, hmm. and watch them grow on their journey. It's cool. Right. That is, that is cool. Is it possible to set up an estate plan without an attorney, just kind of like DIYing it or yes it or is, no? And what do you, what do you say about that? It is. And I hate it. Okay. <laughs> Don't do it. Why? I tell people, so for your trust or your will, please, please go see an attorney. Because a lot of these sites like the legal zooms and wills.com and whatever, they just have all the provisions for every state. And so they have things very generic and a lay person doesn't know what provision needs to be there, what doesn't need to be there. Like for example, in different states, there are different requirements on what makes a valid will. So like California, you only need two witnesses. Some states you need one witness, other states you need three, like the rules vary on what you're doing just in terms of signing it and making sure it's right. Um, also, you don't know what key provisions you need to have. I've seen firsthand when I look at things on LegalZoom, there are some very key provisions that are not in their documents that it would be like malpractice if I as an attorney drafted that document for a client. Mm -hmm. So, and also people don't, there's a certain legal language of how you want things to go. So a person just trying to write out their wishes, you can see, like, I see what you were trying to do there, but you didn't do that with this wording. You actually did something else. So maybe they wanted stuff to go equally to their kids, but the way they wrote it, it looks like this person first, this person second, yeah. And, and I've had that happen where um, I've done like a probate and somebody did their own will and they were like, everything's going three ways. Everything's going three ways. The kids all understood it. And I was like, I know that's what they were trying to do. That is not what is written here. And they were so surprised and they were like, what? <laughs> so please go see an attorney. Um, for powers of attorney and healthcare directives, I think it's better to see an attorney because you can have especially with a healthcare directive, you can get really detailed about some of those things I was talking about, like burial wishes, religious wishes, whatever. Um, there are some pretty good forms out there. Um, like Kaiser has some good forms. I know Stanford does. I think a lot of the major hospitals, they probably have their own healthcare directives. Um, and those you can fill out on your own and then just have, you know, the signatures that are required um, for that. And I don't have so much of a problem with people doing those forms or like doing a very basic durable power of attorney. You can find those online. But when you're really wanting to get detailed about where things go or who they go to, you really should see an attorney. I think that's great to say though, because I think a lot of um, people do just think Legal Zoom, you know, I mean, they they have good marketing, they have good commercials. So you think, oh, mm -hmm. I'll just go do this. But then from what I'm understanding, you could do it on there. And what you desire could not end up happening. Or it could be mm -hmm. voided or something, it might not actually come to fruition the way you planned. Yeah. And LegalZoom is just, I mean, I think it's just confusing in the word. And first of all, there's an, uh, hundreds of documents to choose from. People are like, I don't even know really which document to choose. Right. So that's been one thing where I'm like, why'd you choose this document? And they were like, I don't know. That's thought. I thought, 
<laughs> that's the one I was supposed to pick. And it's like, no. Um, and then when you're looking at the the body, the wording of it, it's just it's just a little convoluted. It's not very clear. And I don't, I don't think people understand what it's asking them. And just so, so often it never is. It's never right. I'm telling the client. So this is how things would break down if you went to court. Was this what you meant to do? And they're like, no. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, it's, um, it's just, if you don't know what you're doing or what you're looking for, it's difficult. And I think they say they have attorneys review things, but I don't think they really can give legal advice. So they're just kind of letting you know, like if something was filled out or not. I don't, I don't think it's the same level as if you hired, you know, an, another attorney who's like the one drafting your estate plan. Right. They're not going to say, like you just said, oh, hey, maybe you should have done this other form instead of this one or because that might be more mm-hmm. legal advice. Yeah. So just kind of, did you fill out that form? Okay, you did. So move on type of thing. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing all this. I know I learned a lot. Again, I I came into this thinking you need an estate plan if you own a home. So uh, my my mind has been completely changed, which I'm grateful for. I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? So making the health health investment uh, to me means that you're putting things in order for you physically, financially, mentally, spiritually, all of those things. I think it encompasses all of that and just putting things in order so that you can care not only for yourself, but really for the ones that you love. Like that's the, the purpose, right? Of being healthy is so that you can accomplish whatever your purpose is in life. So mm-hmm. um, you need to make those investments wherever they need to be. So you can do, do the things that you want to do and care for the ones you love. One thought that kept coming up as you were talking is almost an estate plan is like a gift to the people that you care for. Because I was thinking, oh my gosh, if my parents didn't have one, that would feel so stressful, you know? So it's kind of a gift that they have given to me to have this all written out. And so then you want to give that same gift to your loved ones so that they don't feel that undue stress ever. Right during what's already going to be a stressful time, right? I think that's right. that's the biggest thing to remember is when these things are coming up, it's already going to probably be a sad, stressful time. And so do you want to cause more? For sure. I'd that? say like 98% of my job is being a counselor. Yeah. <laughs> um, like really getting, yeah, it's really being a counselor. It's dealing with different personality types, seeing what people are comfortable with or not. And trying to help balance what they want or what's going on with their family dynamics, whatever that might be. And then what needs to happen on a very real, like legal level. Um, But a lot of it, a lot of it is family dynamics and just guiding people through something that's incredibly stressful, whether it's someone who's already passed away and now you're dealing with a grieving person or someone who's living and maybe family dynamics aren't the best and they don't know what to do. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. Did you know that going into it, that 98% of your job was going to be kind of in the counseling area? No, no. not really. <laughs> They don't tell you about that part in law school. They're just trying to teach you how to think and like, this is how you write and analyze, but you get out in the field. And there are some areas of the law, definitely more transactional, 
not as much dealing with people, but this area of the law is very much about people. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much, Janelle. It's been lovely talking to you as always. Uh, Where can listeners follow and find you? So I am very limited on... (laughs) online. Uh, I do have my website. So if someone's in California and looking to um, do an estate plan or, you know, have questions, they can reach out to me there. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So I connect with professionals and um, people over there as well. Um, But yeah, those are the two main places people can find me. Do you work with clients virtually in California? I do. So yeah, I actually have clients kind of all over. Um, So I can make things work if you're in Southern California, Northern California. I'm in the Bay Area, which is Bay Area. I found out there's actually a Bay Area in SoCal. So (laughs) I'm in the North Bay Area, kind of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, But I can work with individuals across the state. There's a Bay Area in Southern California? Yes. And the only reason why I found that out, I was part of a group, something completely different. And I made a mention of I'm in the Bay Area. And somebody said, well, which Bay Area? And I guess there's some part of Southern California. I don't remember what it, it is, but there's like a Bay Area. Oh, out interesting. There. Well, <laughs> I feel like they're really trying to be the, the, yeah, that's interesting. Trying to create a new Bay Area. I was not aware I, of that because I'm also in the Bay I, Area, but. Yeah, I never knew that until people were like, which Bay, which Bay Area? I was that like, what? funny. <laughs> Okay, well, the Northern California, the the best Bay Area, right? Yes. <laughs> the real one. That other one's fake. I'm, I don't know about yeah, that one. No. Awesome. Well, I will link to your website and your LinkedIn so that everybody can find you there. And again, Chanel, thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with us today. And I look forward to staying connected with you off air. Thank you. I'm glad I could share this with people. It's a big passion of mine because people don't understand it enough. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yeah, myself being one of them, but I'm I'm sure other people felt that same way. And now we all understand so much more. Thanks so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.